is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing what is for many a golden age of video game history, computer games of the 1990s. Now, before we begin, we need to set some limits on our discussion because video games in the 90s are such a gargantuan topic that we couldn't even hope to scratch the surface of it. So what we're going to talk about today are games published for personal computers uh, from 1990 through 1999. Arcade games, and more importantly, console games, will be excluded. Now, that aside, let's start by stating the obvious. The 90s were an insanely awesome time for computer gaming, thanks to the convergence of a number of innovations that felt like we had gone from the Wright brothers to the Saturn V in a single decade. The advent of more powerful processors meant games could transition from 2D pixels to 3D polygons, offering a quantum leap in visual complexity and immersion. The availability of Ethernet cards made multiplayer gaming possible over local area networks and CD-ROMs allowed for vastly bigger games, including even full video content. It all added up to a riot of innovation for gamers themselves. Throughout the 90s, we saw the introduction of new genres of games, such as first-person shooters, real-time strategy, interactive movies, and more. We saw the launch of dozens of game franchises that continue to publish to this day. We saw the first emergence of a distinct gamer culture, and we saw fresh moral panics over sex and violence in video games. It's tempting to call any age in which we grew up to be a golden age, but, man, 90s computer games really deserves a title. So let's get into it. With me today is a guy whose favorite pickup line at internet cafes was, would you like to see my Thrustmaster? Chris Crenshaw. Red 5, standing by. A guy whose LAN parties were so out of hand, they caused a national shortage of 46 chips, Tom Hespos. Headshot. <laughs> <laughs> And a guy whose aggression level is permanently set to New Hampshire, Joe Pace. I feel like I should have some pithy Leonard Nimoy, you know, scientific advancement quote here, but I got nothing. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, anyway, so like everyone, welcome. You know, there's no like obvious chronology here, so I think we're just going to use the magical D4 again to determine who's going to go first. So down the tower it goes. Joe, you are first. So why don't you walk us through your you know, favorite you know, games from, from the 90s and, and really what was your, your moment of truth from them? I have to go with, you know, and maybe this is because I'm a Sid Meier psychophant, I don't know, but, but the Civilization series of games to me was a, a great leap forward in uh, what turn-based you know, world-building games could be. I love the fact that it spans the entirety of human history. I love the fact that you pick a culture and you follow them I think what I love the most is that if you wanted to go down the world domination line of I'm going to make knights and tanks and, and, and crush everybody, I can do that. Or I can build like the, the most scientifically and culturally advanced society that's ever been. And I can build the Notre Dame Cathedral and I can I can I can build, you know, all these all these wonderful things and I can dominate the world culturally. I, I like the fact that there was a peaceful way to win this game. The entirety of human history was available in this game and, and you could be you know, the, the Germans or the Persians or the Japanese or, or, or just about anyone beginning, you know, at 3000 BC and, and, and then, you know, grow throughout and discover different scientific advances. And it, it just, this game had so many pieces to it. And it just was a, it was a delight to play. Yeah. And, and, and any game with mud bricks and literacy as important things is awesome. <laughs> I'm going to discover <laughs> agriculture and now you're in trouble. I just, you know, it, it, there was this, this and, I, and I honestly, like, I love the fact that it would be like 1500 AD and I'm discovering horseback riding because I just don't care about the military. Advances. So it's like, gaze upon my barley and archery. <laughs> Look, archery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Archery. Yeah, great. great. Yeah. And Civilization 2, really, like Civ was great. And then, but Civ 2, the, the second iteration of this series mm -hmm. that came out in the, the early to mid 90s, really was a, was a fantastic game and played it throughout college. And then it's funny, it's, it's almost like Star Trek because the, the even-numbered ones are fantastic. Civ 2, Civ 4, Civ 6 are, <laughs> are, these, are these great entries in the game. To this day, I still play Civilization 6. Um, really? I'll, I'll still pull it up and play it. And, it, and it's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, from a moment of truth standpoint, what I, what I enjoy is you can, you can customize what the requirements to win are. You can say, okay, I need to like militarily beat everybody or mm. we're going to build the spaceship and get to... Uh, Alpha Centauri first, yeah. or you know, 
you know, we're going to have the most cultural influence or whatever else. I love the, there's this, <laughs> there's one you can pick that's called domination, which is you're going to have X amount of population and X amount of landmass that you're going to control with your society. And I love that one because as time goes by, you can like start just culturally expanding. And I always envision that it's like, okay, we're just pretty much selling cheeseburgers and, and, and dungarees to everybody yeah, around the world. Geez, <laughs> right? And, and rock and like, roll music. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there is literally no better feeling playing video games than when some city that's on your border revolts and joins your empire because they want more cheeseburgers and dungarees. And they basically say like, hey, we'd like to join you because, you know, you guys as the, you know, you're the Chinese and whatever, but like, you know, the, the, the Russians are terrible. We want to be Chinese now. And like when that little pop-up dialogue box says, Moscow would like to join you, you're like, yes! Like that to me, yeah. there is no better feeling I've ever had in gaming than, <laughs> yes, your city may join me because we are just that awesome. Welcome so now, aboard. Now, now, in the game, is there ever an incentive when that, wait, 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 when, that, when that dialogue pops up, is there ever an incentive to not include them? Uh, no. I mean, the only time if they're a weak, it, weak city... Or no yeah, if you're if you're in a military thing and you just don't want to deal with it, like I I understand that. But the way I always played it was, we're just going to expand. Like as, as to Chris's point, you know, resistance is futile. We're just going to be the Borg and we're just going to assimilate everybody into our <laughs> expense. Yeah. You, you know, we're going to talk someday about the culture. Like, well, here it is. Here's the yeah, culture. Yeah. We're going to we're going to expand yeah. and we're just going to take every <laughs> with this amoeba and we're just going to absorb everybody as we yeah. go. So when and, and it can take a long time. You can hover your mouse over it and it tells you what percentage your culture has influence over this particular square of real estate. Oh. And so it may, you know, say you're the Persians and like, it'll say Persians, 49%, you know, English 51. And you're like, oh, that's only a matter of time. And then finally, like you, you it flips and it joins you. And so, you know, yeah. and, and it might take you, you, you play patient, play the long game. <laughs> Eventually they're coming over and, yeah. oh. Just, These it's, guys are Jones and Duncan's point. franchise so hard, man. Yeah. Yeah, they just want Starbucks. That's all they really want. AFC, exactly. baby. They're a black <laughs> coffee and a crawler to go, and then they're yours, man. That's it. <laughs> the 90s was like Sid Meier's decade. Like, there were so many yeah. simulations. It started with SimCity, but it just kind of exploded from there. There was Sim everything. There was Sim building, Sim ants, Sim everything, you know. Uh, but then Civ took off really huge. And I remember, like, Civ, I think the first Civ came out like my senior year in college and it was, um, or thereabouts. And I remember very keenly thinking, I can never play this game because if I do, I will not graduate from college, right? Like, like I was, I was like, it was like, it was, it was like heroin, not even once. Like, I just can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> I dare, I dare well, not I flirt you. with the dragon on this. And, uh, to this day, it's, it's a franchise that even as huge as it is, I have never played Civ because I think that fear of my entire life will collapse if I play it is still there. That, that was a remarkably like, you know, uh, awesome choice that you made there, Bill. I, I don't think that at the time I would have been able to, you know, oh my God. I remember just the hype around this game and how ambitious it was. At the it was time. huge. Like, I, yeah. I, I remember buying it. I don't think I played it. It was like, you know, before we had Steam accounts with, you know, games that we buy and never play, we would buy retail games and never play right. off, off the bargain so, shop yeah. at Walmart. And, yeah, yeah, right. Electronics but, boutique, uh, baby. I, I remember just hearing about how ambitious this thing was, and I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, yeah!" Like, if I play that, like, I might not go to work or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I played a ton of SimCity. This is Sim Me World. Too. This is Sim everything, yeah. right? Like, it's it's yeah. it's Sim from ancient world through today. Well, and... the, the problem with SimCity is that as great as it was, it was a really great like chill out game. But inevitably, you either your city failed horribly because of some dumb choice you made. Or you succeeded so well that the only way to further entertain yourself was to smash what you wish you would build, right? So, and Tornadoes like, and monsters. Yeah, it's yeah. like eventually you become the monster, you know, and it's like now, like, where's that kaiju button? Here we go. Fun, that is the fun, single fun. best point in, in that game's defense, though. Like, the fact that you can do that is kind yeah. of awesome. Dude, I, I mean, I, I, I shudder to think how many metropoli I sundered by just like unprovoked meteor swarms. Like, one of the fun things about Sim, I'm sorry about Civ, is speaking to the, you know, the, the public administrator in me is the amount of time I spent, like, you know, irrigating my farms and building railroads. Yeah. And, 
you know, like like doing mining and 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 you yeah. know, like all yeah. this sort of stuff. It's like you curate your civilization, hoping that none of the other civilizations are going to get sufficiently angry that they're going to invade you. That's no. exactly how I played Age of Empires, by the way. Just another great game I love, but like you yeah. build up your civilization and like you know, don't even like really hope that nobody invades you because your economy is so good and then yeah you know, oh somebody invaded me i gotta raise an army really really quickly <laughs> yeah that, now, that's how i play these games as well tom but i did not know that that age of empires i, th- I thought it was just like a military game yeah i, I thought it was, no, I thought it was like pure no, military you, simulation you could go totally pacifist in uh, age of empires huh. if you really yeah, want that's awesome yeah. that's i should have played that I, I, they did I, remaster I, it recently there, there is a way to win it too yeah. if you, you know you can build what's called a wonder and uh you know oh like like the gardens of babylon or something standing for however long you know yeah. you win the game yeah so. yeah so, uh now age of empires was another franchise i seem to recall having like endless sequels over the course of the years like every time i turned around there's like another a- age of empires yeah, it just like it just kept coming around going. but like that yeah, in like, total war yeah yeah so so now i know that in civilization i always heard stories of people with the one by just annihilating the no you know, you know the, the competition but you know huh. you could you could get your your society sufficiently advanced you build a rocket and you go to alpha centauri so I guess my big question is that I know there was also an Alpha Centauri game. Were the two like linked, or was that just like you know just a name that, that Sid Meier dropped and figured, you know what, I'm just gonna make a terraforming game too. Like like were, what was the what was the difference between Alpha Centauri and Sid? Yeah, Alpha Centauri, um, which you know remains in in anybody's list of top ten forex games ever. Yeah, and it, it was it's a 1995 <laughs> game, and it's uh, it's the direct sequel to Civilization Two. Civilization Two ends when well, one of the ways it can end is when you, you send a, a rocket to Alpha Centauri, uh, a colony ship. And yeah. Alpha Centauri is the story of that colony ship. Okay, got it. And, now, and it's, it's, a, it's, I just, I think I like it better because of the theme, honestly. Right. So, so my question, now you mentioned 4X, right? Now 4X stands for what again? It's a, what, uh, ex- it, explore? Expand, exploit, and exterminate. Right. Okay. So, so you know, right. they, they, these are, are games in which you know you have political and economic and uh, you know cultural and military systems that yeah. are all working together. Multiple opponents are, are vying for domination. I did play Dune too, like it was my job uh, for a long time, and then I and I started playing you know you know the, the various you know Warcraft and Warcraft Two in particular uh, and Starcraft um, and, and and those games were awful awful lot of fun as well. They're much much more on the tactical side of things though. Right. I mean, would you consider those games to be in the same general bucket as games like Civ, or are they really so different that they really belong to be in like in two different categories? I'd put them in a different category entirely. Yeah, or those are real time strategy as opposed to turn based for one thing. And, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and you know the. Games like Civilization, Alpha Centauri, Galactic Civilizations, uh, you know, they're much more contemplative and slow, and and there's never any pressure to get your turn done. Yeah, okay, yeah. Throughout the 90s, most of my game was done on a Mac, right? So, and I was like, that was in the dark time. That was in the whole, like, 4 to 6% of all games published would actually run on a Mac, you know? Like, it it was just sort of like, you were, you know, there are very little, very few games were published for the Mac. It was mainly... If a game got big enough, it warranted a port from the PC world, then maybe it would trickle down to the Mac world. So I ended up missing a lot of games just because I was on the wrong platform for gaming in general. But a game I really played a lot and loved was called Spaceward Ho, which is this, this funky little <laughs> independent game. It was it was like a Conquer the Galaxy game. It was by it Westwood. Was... It was the same studio that did Dune 2000, Bill. Is that – no way, really? Yeah. I had no idea. That's astonishing. All right. So, so, but it was just basically just, you know, this massive galaxy randomly determined and you have all these little, like, you know, planet icons. But for some reason, the whole thing has got this Wild West theme. So that, so the planets are all wearing like cowboy hats or like bandit hats or whatever. Um, <laughs> and whenever you like send like a colony ship from one planet to the other, they go, yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like, or like, if people take out your, your colony, you hear like they... you hear like a, like, like cattle harnesses and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like it's, to- it's like all Ponderosa, you know, and like, if like, you know, scouts come in, like your colony has been wiped out. You hear this shucks, <laughs> like, like, and I don't know why they did it, but it was endearing. You would send a, sh- a colony ship to a planet. You would you would spend you would kind of manage the resources to terraform the planet and get it up and running so it's a profitable colony so it can then generate more 
money and resources to build more ships. And again, it was very much that you had to explore quickly. You had to set up your thing real fast. But there's the constant like existential angst of you don't know where the other guys are and they're going to come and blindside you from some spot. So you have to like grow fast before somebody else grows into you. And it was like a really, it was fine. It was very turn-based, but it was fine. But it was like, there was like a slow dread to these games because you're like, eventually <laughs> I will run into neighbors and there are no friendly neighbors in this game, you know? And it's like, it's a sort of, it's sort of weird. Cause, me? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, cause like the longer you go before you run into them, the worse it's going to be when you do right. run into them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, there's no good time to run into your neighbors and, you know, um, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was a kind of funny thing. So that was a great game, though. I, 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 I would be surprised if you didn't first see it in my carol in my room at the library I, that's probably where i came across it'd be perfectly honest with you i currently have it on my ipad believe it or not and, you know, that's awesome still, yeah they keep updating it. it's it's such a simple, i had no idea it's such a simple game yeah the ipad version is the ios version is it's it's really it's really quite i'm gonna good. find it on it's, it's, it's really quick it's just a couple bucks it's really fantastic everything you, everything you remembered it from and, and it's you know the, the simple drag and drop aspects is so simple but it's just a ton of fun to play awesome. and uh just creating these massive armadas of goofy looking ships and sending them hither and yon is always it never stops being fun so but joe any final thoughts on civ 2 because i know this is like this is kind of your jam and i i, I perpetually am fascinated by this game because it's like I just I know I'm never gonna play it, but I know it's also worthy of all the accolades it's gotten. And so I just like it's it's like it's like it's like if I decided to never watch Star Wars. You know, like I just feel like I am sort of living apart from this pretty substantial plank of greatness. And I just I don't know. The only the only thing I would add to it is that there was a um, a version of Civ that Meyer put together based on the exploration of the New World called Colonization which mm -hmm. was right. every okay. bit as much fun in different ways than Civilization was. And I played that uh, metric ton. With twice the guilt. Oh. Twice the guilt. <laughs> well, what I loved about it is exactly. you could be like, you know, Spanish, English, French, Dutch, and you could decide, am I going to work with the natives? Am I going to, speaking of 4X, yeah. am I going to exterminate the natives? Or am I going to, what am I going to do here? It was just a fascinating, uh, as, as an American historian, it was a, a wonderful way to um, make different, potentially different choices or the same choices that our founding yeah. fathers made. Yeah. Uh, talk about a game that really could only have come around during the 90s. <laughs> like, just, it was yeah, a remarkably so, sensitive or thoughtful about the... Yeah, it was. Population. You can still buy yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, the one thing I always liked about Sid Meier's games is that he always seemed to take a serious eye towards history and not trying to not trying to spin some sort of goofy narrative off of it, but try to try to look plainly at, 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 at things and... and Maybe even confront, you know, uncomfortable truths about about the settings in which he's setting games, and I always I always like that about his his game design. Absolutely, um, thought that was pretty cool. That was one of the wonderful things about uh, Alpha Centauri. There was so much great flavor text, you know, involved in the technologies that you researched, and uh, yeah. and then when anytime you completed a wonder, you get this awesome video. Uh, that would pop up Nietzsche quotes quotes from like you know all throughout human history interspersed with you know quotes yeah. from the leaders of the, you know the, of this future and uh, such great world building. Sid Meier's <laughs> the man. Love it, love it. All right, we're gonna move on to our next one here. So I'm gonna hit the die one more time. I'm going to talk about a game. It's one of the biggest games of the '90s, probably one of the biggest top selling PC games of all time. And when this game came out, this landed like right after I got out of college, and it was a legit phenomenon. I hadn't really seen anything quite like it in its sense. Um, it, this is the game Mist. Mist was kind of a spiritual successor to the classic text-based kind of graphical adventure games of, of the 1980s, yeah. right? You know, it, it was very much like there was, you know, the, the DNA of Zork was heavily in this, right? Move along, look at something, interact with something, figure out where it goes, and have to play these, like, the long game against all these puzzles that kind of cascade on each other, you know? But the thing with Mist is that it was a sort of... Uh, you know, it was built on HyperCard, so it just it was just sort of like this massively like three dimensional slideshow kind of thing. So you just sort of you know move through, and it was you know you know for the time beautifully rendered kind of you know I think it was ray trace graphics or something. You know, it had it had that graphic look that games in the '90s had, where all the surfaces looked like that weird '90s computer game kind of yeah, you know, sheen, yeah. sheen, yeah, exactly. That looked awesome at the time, and now you look at it, you're like, guys, do better. Um, you just sort of appear boom, on this little island. It's not that big. The island has basically got a bunch of kind of oddball attractions on them. There's like an observatory. There's a half-sunken ship. There's a, you know, there's like a garden. And you a can just rocket. walk. 
it starts off and really you just point and click. There's almost the the controls are incredibly simple and it doesn't tell you what to do at all. You just show up there. It's like play the game, you know, and like, okay. And it was the first game I ever played where the point of the game was just to figure it out as you went along. Pretty soon you start realizing, okay, I'm on this funky island. There's something magical going on here. I can't get to a lot of the places on the island. So even though the island was small, it kind of felt big because so much of it was closed off to you. And you realize that there's this plot where there's some kind of wizard and there are these two magic books in this library and most of the pages have been torn out and that you've got to go and unlock puzzles on this world to open portals to other worlds to figure things out there so you can find a page and bring it back and rebuild these books. And as you do, the story of who this wizard is and how these books came to be all scattered across the different realms and what happened in those realms starts to come into, come into focus. And like um, little early QuickTime videos. Yeah, there's these like little <laughs> postage stamp, super grainy, like low res, you know, little QuickTime videos start playing, you know. But at the time, you're like, I'm singing into another dimension. Like it was so, <laughs> it was so mind boggling. Wow, what is this? It was just this game where there was like no fighting. There was really no violent solution to anything. It was all just pay attention to your surroundings and figure out how to do things and figure out puzzles that the solution isn't readily apparent. And be a this scientist. Game, be a scientist. And this game came with a pretty thick blank journal where you could take notes as you went along. And I, t I took such scrupulous notes during that game that by the time I was all over, my, I remember my, my one brother looked at this and he goes, Bill, you could sell this as a guide to the game. Like, <laughs> like, like it, was, it was like Henry Jones's Grail Diary. I mean, honestly, it was like <laughs> I had like drawings in it. I had like all kinds of this. I mean, it was, I put an immense amount of work in this because I was so you know, so taken by this world and it really drew you in. And like, it was not, for me, it was not easy to figure out. So I spent a lot mm -hmm. of time wandering around in mist, trying to figure things out. And it was like every payoff was a really earned payoff. And I really, really loved it. I will tell you, it's a game where there was this one puzzle and I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. It was this thing where there's like, it's like a wheel with like a three numbers. Of, like it, it, it's, it's like a, like a, like a luggage combination lock, right? You got three uh -huh. spinning wheels of numbers, pull this chain and advance the numbers, and you got to get it to a certain combination. And I knew what it was, but I couldn't make the numbers turn the way they needed to turn. And I was so obsessed with this, I actually built an analog model of the puzzle and brought it with me to work and sat there and like, oh my God. I did. I took like a toilet paper roll and strips of paper and actually like built like a thing. I'm sitting like fussing with it at lunchtime. Like I got to figure it out. And I actually mathematically went through, I went through every mathematical combination of that lock. And, and realized that, like, I, that's when I realized, okay, I cannot open this lock. I can't figure it out. That's when I realized that the, the answer was something right in front of my face. It was very simple. But, like, that sort of thing happened and missed a lot. And it was just, um, it was a sort of game that really, like, normally this sort of game, I would just throw up my hands and walk away. But Mist really grabbed me and, and held on to me. And I just, I just loved it. And it was, like, the first, like, truly immersive game where I really felt like I was in another world. Wasn't particularly keen on leaving it. And uh, it was just, it was just amazing. I had never played anything quite quite like it, but it was really it was really quite cool. Bill, you use the word immersive, and in today's phraseology, mist is the opposite of immersive because you know, you don't have any agency in that world. You don't you don't have a character. You you can't look around. Your viewpoint is limited to these slideshows, and yet you're so right. <laughs> you know, I, you dream about this game while you were playing. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it had this really uh, it, it, it took you someplace else that was very real. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was the kind of game where it also like a lot of some of the, the greatest games, it caught the attention of people who were not typically game players. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember reading stories like in the Wall Street Journal, like <laughs> like stuff like guys on Wall Street walking out of their office at, like two o'clock in the morning, having gone on like a crazy <laughs> post work missed, you know, bender. And they're just like just like bleary eyed stumbling home, you know, <laughs> they, like, they don't have a PC with a CD-ROM drive at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of people didn't, you know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and it's funny because there were there were a couple of sequels to Mist. I ended up playing through them, but they just didn't capture me the way the first one did. The first one, just, it was like I really had this like, you know, just sort of even though I had played a ton of graphical adventures in, in the 80s, uh, this game just sort of it felt like Asteroid Amongst the Dinosaurs for me. It really, really, you know, bowled me over. There were a ton of imitators that came after it that were just a lot of them were just garbage. <laughs> you know, some so. were good though. I I don't know if you remember the Seventh Guest. That had some <laughs> really neat puzzles in it. It was so, a horror-based game. It was, yeah, it was I, pretty neat. 
I remember the third. The, there was the seventh guest in the thirteenth hour. I think it was. Uh-huh. Um, and but I remember the seventh guest. I never played it. I always wanted to though because it looked really cool and I it heard great neat. things about it. You know, it's funny. A lot of games that tried to follow the whole Mist thing. I think they couldn't figure out the like the puzzles in Mist were fiendishly clever. The, the way they're set and up. And didn't look like puzzles, you know? And didn't look like puzzles, exactly, you know? There is one that was so simple. It was basically, it's like you had to play a series of notes on a keyboard, right? But you had to turn around behind you to see where in the position, you know, what, what, what note you had to play. And because of the technology, it had to render, you know, you turned around, it was like, you know, a couple seconds to turn and look, a couple seconds to turn back. And you had to keep that note like in your head, right? Yeah. So if you couldn't like match the note perfectly, you, it was wrong. And I remember that was just hard. Like that, like that didn't look like a big puzzle. And you're like, dude, this is not easy trying to figure out this musical combination. I, I'm not a parrot, man. I can't do it, you know. <laughs> you know. But, uh, but, but Mist was full of moments like that. And just real simple things that were not things you would typically see in an adventure game. You know, just like, oh, make sure the water flows in this direction through this pipe rather than this pipe. You know, it's that kind of stuff. But it was all over the place. And like, like I was really, I was really sad. Over. as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 you know, when you you'd turn that crank and you'd hear the water trickle. Yeah. You know, down yeah. the other pipe. Yeah. It, it was a lovely sound. It was really. It was, it, that was a good game. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was even though it's not a game really by today's standards. It's a puzzle. It, it more thing. of a puzzle. Yeah. You know, and and in ways it, it kind of felt like if Enya had written Zork. You know, like it had that kind yeah. of. <laughs> And you, know, you, know, <laughs> you know, it was. Well, that's kind of how it felt. You know, it's a game that I've never gone back to. They've re, they've re-released it and they re-rendered it, so you can kind of walk through like right. Real time. It's like first person, now. like first yeah. person. And I can't, like, I don't want to do that because I think like part of what the game was its slowness. Like it made you stop and look, and you you were like, okay, every frame is here for a reason. So even if you're just traveling through, I stopped and I looked at everything. And it re- that was a game that really got me to slow down and to sort of enjoy the deliberate pace of things, you know, rather than racing through it. And I really enjoyed that it took me the, I don't know, month and a half, two months for me to finish it or something like that. Because I was just so, you know, becoming a scholar of the game. And it was, and, and it was before the Internet was really the Internet. So there were no, there were, there were no you know, you no. could go to like message boards maybe. But I didn't know how to do that back then. Personally. I really didn't either. No, no. I, I, you're, I was pretty much on my own. And, and for the most part, like, I'm sure I could have found, like, a, a Mist was so big at that point, probably somebody had published a, you know, right. loser's guide to Mist, right? Yeah. Here's, how, here's how to walk through. But it's like, I didn't want to get that, though. Like, it, like, it had right. drawn me in so well. I didn't want to spoil it for myself. I wanted to, to you know, as best as I could, figure it out for myself. And so when it was all over, I really felt good that I that I'd finished it. And I don't finish that kind of game very often. Usually I just kind of, you know, I'm just like like a monkey with a bow. And I'm like, rah, too hard. And I just smash it and run away, you know. <laughs> you know, but not this game. This game's for me. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> Mr. McGronk angry. Ah! <laughs> so, so anyway. Anyway, Tom, Joe, did you guys ever play Mist? Did you ever play anything like it like uh, during that time? I, I never played Mist, but I, I was shown Mist. And I remember just, you know, the, the graphics and the sound and just remembering like what a beautiful game it was. And like, I got it, but I just, I never really played it myself, but it, it was a, a gorgeous game and, and groundbreaking just for that. Um, you know, all of the things, you know, put everything else over here you know it was just just for the graphics and the uh yeah. the sound it was just beautiful you know i remember playing legacy of the ancients on the commodore which kind of had like those those puzzles built into it where you had to like mm. it was less about like hack and slash than it was about like oh you know figure out where these different pieces fit together to in order to move through to the next uh yeah. set of yeah. adventures and i i remember finding that um, a refreshing change from the the, the kind of like you know knock stuff in the head with a club to to advance, uh, you know concept of, of adventure gaming. Yeah, <laughs> you know, M- Mist was like a, it was like an intermediate step between text adventures like Zork and the point and click adventures like King's Quest. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, a game like King's Quest, you would carry, you know, control a character on the screen and you would, yeah. you know, click on things around the screen to find secrets, get items and combine yeah. them in weird ways to solve problems. And yeah. there'd be a great story. The way, What Mist did, it just, it took the character out of it and it just made it your eyes, you know, made it first person and yeah. 
Uh, that was it was it was pretty neat. I, it really was a neat game. Moving on, time for the die one more time. Here we go. Tom, you're up, man. So, so, right. so, so, so what's the game? What's your moment of truth for it? I'm let's, not telling let's, you. Let's I'm going to tell you the story instead. So, uh, oh, okay, here we go. Hit us. I, you know, first advertising job, Young and Rubicam. It was kind of an odd job in that, you know, there was, you were either like super busy or like nothing was going on. There really wasn't like any sort of, of middle ground. We were all on like, you know, 486DXs. And having like one of those hurry up and wait nights where we had to work late, but we were waiting on something. You know, it was probably a bunch of creatives who were smoking pot in their office and needed to come up with something. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm there and uh, like we're just hanging out waiting for something. And uh, this guy, Eric, calls me from downstairs and I, he's like, I'm sending you an email, like, go check this out. And so a couple of minutes later, I get this email and it's got you know locations on the network drive and everything where i should go get these files and install this blah 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 and then eric calls me back like a few minutes later after i have it installed and he's like all right we're gonna play now i'm like what is this like what are we doing and like what do you mean we like what's going on and he drops me into a uh, co-op game of doom which like Nuts. I had just Dude. not experienced anything <laughs> like that until that just dropped in. in oh like, man! Oh my god! Bang like, in you your face! Talk about immersive! <laughs> like it just drops you into like this first-person 3D <laughs> environment. Um, you know, not really 3D yeah. by today's standards. You need a lot of like 2D tricks to make it work, but yeah. it, was it was all sprite based. It was it was yeah. a leap yeah. forward for its time. Like I'm oh, running yeah. around in this environment. Mm we're killing things from hell and undead. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this is the first game where like, it's so immersive that I actually kind of feel scared to play it. Cause you can, you know, pop around corners and get surprised by monsters and get like a nice <sighs> jump scare that was no out lie. of it. And I'm yeah, like, they had real. a lot of jump scares, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm playing this game and I'm like, I, like if I had my computer at home, like to play this, like I, I don't think I would because I think I'd be too scared to like play it on my own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it, it was just one of those things. It was just such an eye opener uh, as far as you know, like gaming on the company land, which was <laughs> you know, just like that. That that for me defined like the mid nineties was just like, gaming yeah. on the company yeah, right? land. I mean, heck yeah, there were days I would finish my job by like ten a.m. during those periods yeah. where we weren't busy, and I would spend like the rest of the day on HappyPuppy.com. I don't know if anybody remembers it, just like <laughs> downloading games like that because I was just so thrilled by having yeah. remember it. Um, yeah, you know, we downloaded all those cool, like new, you know, first person, um, you know, perspective games, like yeah. uh, two knockoffs, yeah, but like so I couldn't many. get enough of it, it was so yeah. great. <laughs> well, well, you know, when you mentioned how you know Doom was so scary, I remember playing Doom 2. And um, which is more of the same, right? I mean, it's just mm -hmm. dialed up even further. You never go back to an area that you already cleared without a secret door opening and yeah, monsters. Yeah, and, and yeah, you know who sucks at finding the secret doors? Bill. That's who. Okay, <laughs> it's awful. Hundred uh, percent completion rate. Never. Okay, <laughs> on those, those levels. But one night, I I made the the really supremely terrible choice of we we're just playing. it was my friend Jay was over and we we're playing. We decided to play. Um, we we're just like, well, we just need some music, so I put on Ministry. Oh. You know, which is like you know hard we're, we're watching we're playing dune 2 to ministry and it was all over jay and i were like shaking we're like we need to like we need to like go like get some ice cream or something man like i don't know about <laughs> you like i'm messed up how about you i messed up too like i can't go to sleep me neither <laughs> we're have like, tapioca we were so rattled man i'm serious that game got under our skin it was terrible you know it just just Oh my God! It was it was, it was so rough. Was so rough. That yeah, game but, was amazing. It really was. It was really the, I mean, atmospheric AF. Yeah, right. So, but then that also gave way to now. I mean, so there's Doom, then Doom Two, and then I think it was it was kind of followed by by the Quake series, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. I you know I love talking about that game too. Is it? I have another story about gaming on the corporate land, but <laughs> ain't no party like a boss land party. <laughs> So there's a, a job, the it clock. doesn't even appear on my LinkedIn profile or on my resume. Like it was just like a couple of months stint at like one of these 
insane dot coms that like popped up out of nowhere and had to you know grow really fast yeah uh it's called internet cash i think i've seen uh, their facebook uh, spend cash was the name of the product or the name of the company internet cash was the product so it was a crypto play with all you know everybody trying to um you know figure out how to pay for stuff on the internet because people were really uncomfortable putting their credit cards in back then sure yeah Anyway, um, so like I, I wore so many hats at this job. Like they hired me as like the marketing guy. Uh, I ended up getting put in charge of the web team and like I had product roles at all this different different things I was doing. And one night I'm I'm there late with the web team working on like the website. <laughs> and like it, it was one of those things that I walked past somebody, I kind of saw what was on his monitor, and I probably wasn't supposed to. And it was, it was quake three. And like, I just kind of did a double take and I stepped back and I'm like, James, what, the, what is that? What are you doing? And he like, this guy's playing Galaga. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly this man is playing Galaga. Um, so, you know, he's he afraid that, you know, I'm his boss and I'm just going to fire him on the spot. Meanwhile, I'm thrilled. And I just want to see what the damn game is. He's yeah. playing and like, all this bizarre stuff is going on rocket launchers and machine guns and rail yeah. guns and stuff like that. People running backwards really fast. And I'm like, what is that? And um, he promised that he would show me later and he did. And what I ended up doing was I bought like retail copies of quake three arena on the company mm. dime and just stuck them on a shelf in the office so like we could make have <laughs> land parties after I'm like, Dang. this is our reward now. If you finish a all your tasks for the day, we'll <laughs> right? get on and we'll play Quake Three for as long as you guys have an appetite for it. So, <laughs> damn, Tom that, was playing chess while we were all playing checkers. That, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, we hit a lot of deadlines, which was good because we got to yeah, play right? a lot of Quake and <laughs> fragged a lot of fools too. <laughs> So that game I loved because you could modify the hell out. Oh, you can modify the hell out of Doom too, but you can modify yeah. the hell out of Yeah, Doom. you could kit bash Doom in oh. a really big way. I, I, that's what I want to say about Doom. The, oh. If you never played the Alien Doom mod, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It it it's it replaced all the the weapons and sounds with weapons from the from aliens. That's and not, you know the yeah. the enemies were all like xenomorphs and queens and it was the jam it was <laughs> I, you know that, that was like my first yeah. uh experience of of fan-made content for a commercial game and <laughs> wow it was well, so good the funny thing about doom that makes that really makes me laugh is as my son connor got into you know it stuff and computer and all that he, he was like he's like he's like you know dad um, he, he goes, Dad, you played Doom, right? I'm like, yes, I did. I played it quite a lot. And he goes, yeah. And he starts telling me about how, like, with the Internet of Things and all that, like, basically, Doom has become, like, the standard thing people just sort of install on things that shouldn't have computers. So there's, like, smart refrigerators out there that, that'll, that'll run Doom. Oh, <laughs> like, like, there's, like, like, real. So, there's, like, soft drink vending machines that have, like, hit a certain thing. Lot, and, you, know, like, you can run yeah. Doom on an electric toothbrush if you really yeah, have yeah. I, I, I had, like, in, in the... In in the mid 2000s, I had a little Sansa MP3 player about yay big. It was like three inches by two inches. You could play Doom on that. <laughs> it's just like an age of so wonders, great. man. It's so great. It's just so bonkers. Like, you know, it didn't belong there. Unless you were there at the time, it's kind of hard to really overstate just how massively disruptive Doom was in terms of it just, it's like, it's like productivity. Well, productivity, but also just like, the video game, the the computer game industry's expectations. Yeah. If like what you could do, how you could grab an audience, how compelling it could be, how much cultural cachet, how you would earned. distribute like, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. Doom That's was a, a shareware distribution, the first right? Shareware, you know, the the, yeah. the shareware model. I mean, yeah, Proved give away hard. the game and then you know make the retail copy have all the levels. Okay, yeah. great, you know, perfect, yeah. perfect model for getting that thing to spread. But you could go to like computer conventions and people would just sell like things that are just like a gazillion like you know homebrewed custom levels for Doom because that was yeah. the other thing you could just you could slot in your own level and it was just like endlessly customizable. So it, you can kind of never stop playing it. It was it was just fantastic. Wad um, files, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Wads. Right? But but I mean, I played that game awful awfully hard. And really liked it, but you know, like the '90s were just such a golden time for for that first wave of first-person shooters in general, right? So, like on the Mac, you had uh, you know a little a scrappy little company called Bungie 
created the Marathon trilogy. And Marathon was basically doomed for Max, is what it came down to. I think it was Marathon 2, maybe, where it's like you could actually start looking up and down, right? Which, which like, in a first-person shooter, was like, like, you know, like, now i got to think of three dimensions. What? Like, you just couldn't. For me, like, that was first in Dark Forces. Yeah. Okay, so let's just cut. Let's, we'll cut right to the chase. It's Dark Forces. Dark Forces. Dark Forces. Holy crap, man. I played that game all the hours. I mean, I... Oh, I that was my job it. for a while. Dude, it was mine as well. I played Dark Forces so much. I mean, and, and again, you can get like a lot of, uh, there's a really robust modding community there that built, you know, custom levels. They created custom sprites and you can actually build your own levels and such. It was like, but I played that game so often. I did like things in that game that practically were like at the outer limit of its physics engine and just sort of did, did these crazy trick shots. You know, I remember one time there was one level where it's like early in the game, there's this like mountain level. And the point is you get up to this one top ledge, you see this like squad of stormtroopers way off in the distance. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? And like, just like I had played the game, it was like my 90th playthrough. And I was like, hey, Jay, watch this. And just hucked a thermal detonator, like maximum rage, just to see what happens. <laughs> and landed in the middle of them and they all blow up and all these bodies are this perfect little like flower petal. Like a mushroom right? circle. Yeah, 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 yeah a little mushroom circle, exactly. <laughs> and he was like, that was amazing. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you know, it was an age before you could do screenshots. I'm like, oh my God. But that just came because I played the game for hundreds and hundreds of hours. But man, Dark Forces was like, you know, it just it hit that Star Wars. It, it, and it also, it was in that weird time. It was post Jedi pre sequels Star Wars, yes. right? So it was like the high point of EU Star Wars. We're talking Kyle Katarn. We're talking Make It Up As You Go Along. Heck, you know, Rogue you Squadron know. and Admiral Thrawn and yeah, all that stuff was all, going on. All that stuff's going on. It was just such a. Such a fun, um, such a fun, you know, deep dive into Star Wars, and it matched up perfectly. LucasArts had a really spotty record with the games they developed. Some were fantastic, some were really not so much. Dark Forces was such a hit. It was so, so freaking good, man. Oh my god, Tom, I didn't mean to hijack your Doom quake. No, thing, no. I just, I just, <laughs> it is. It, I knew it was gonna take I the slightest avoid, provocation. Yeah, it's like Doom just made so many different like clones of itself. And, yeah. and, and you know, he like Hexen. Up. Yeah, Hex yeah. Hexen. Like, Hexen. My job for Hexen while, was fantastic. Yeah. I remember playing Redneck Rampage. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Redneck oh Rampage was the game where you could be walking along and there's like like a dirt road and the thing. If you weren't careful, a pickup truck just came by and hit you. <laughs> like, like it wasn't even something you could fight. It was just like an, an environmental hazard. Like, oh yeah, right, I forgot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on, man. Unreal, Unreal. Oh, I think was the, the oh Unreal Tournament was a multiplayer game that was super awesome. No. I. I love playing it, but I never played it actual multiplayer because I never, I was never oh, able to hook up to a land with it. Part, man. I, oh, I know, God. I know. I just played the against the bots. That man. was crazy. Like yeah. uh, you, you got to go play the Coke versus Pepsi level. Oh my god, <laughs> that was the thing that like got my wheels turning around. Like, ooh, advertising and video games. Like, how could we yeah. figure this out? And there were companies yeah, yeah. around that, but like Unreal. Oh my god, like. I remember, I used to love playing on the server that I set up where like anytime you pegged somebody in the nuts, it was crotch shot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the dude who would just like narrate the whole thing and all yeah. the cool shots he took and everything. Oh my god! Monster kill! Oh my god! Yeah, some really good stuff in that. So now in this era, there's also Half Life, which I think we have to mention. That's the late '90s, though, right? Super late, super late '90s, like '98, I think, and then like Counter Strike came out in '99. But I just remember when Half Life showed up. It's a game. Again, I've never played it. Right? Oh. Well, you uh, know what? This is for another episode, man. Oh well, it, it just because it, it never, it never, I, I just sort of, it was like ships passing the night. It wasn't like I wasn't going to play it. I just missed it. At some point, somebody's got to sit me down and, and explain to me what exactly it was about Half-Life that made it the thing that it was because the whole universe was just agog at Half-Life. And I, it wasn't like I played it. I was like, I don't get the deal. I just, I never played it. So I just don't know why it was such a, a groundbreaking game. After we were offline, I will tell you. Okay, I appreciate that because I, I feel like I feel like you know being a video game fan and having never played Half Life is kind of like learning how to speak English but not knowing what the letter E is. You know, like it just I feel like there's like a critical a critical piece missing there. So I don't know. We will move on to our next one here, and I'm gonna roll the die anyway just because I can go to. Yeah, it didn't really matter. Chris, you're up. So um, <laughs> talk to us about what, what games have you have you picked? What's your moment of truth from them? Take us away. You know, historically, my favorite games 
especially at home, have always been, you know, your your flight combat sims, especially the ones set in space. So, like, you know, 1983, we see Phaser Patrol on the Atari 2600 and the Supercharger. That was that was the first time I got to fly a spaceship around in space. It was the closest thing I could get to piloting an X-Wing. And then the same year, Star Wars Arcade came out. You know, the, the vector-based game. Uh, it was an it was an on-rail shooter, but it was effectively 3D. Yeah. You know, Joust became my favorite arcade game. But look, I, I would get made fun of playing Star Wars Arcade because I'd put so much body English you know, into mm-hmm. you know the into the control yoke when I was jumping around. Flying a damn X Wing. Exactly, <laughs> man. Those fireballs aren't gonna shoot themselves, man. That stuff was that was serious. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 I think I mentioned it before, that game got a great Atari twenty six hundred port. And and you know, in, in the mid to late eighties there were games like arcade games like Mach three and Apple II games like Sky Fox. And, oh, I love Sky Fox. I love Sky Fox. Oh and god, it's so good. F <laughs> fifteen Strike Eagle and Sundog. Oh. Yeah, Sundog, which was like Sundog, well, an early elite. It was, it was like, a, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, big fan but, of Sundog. You know, for sheer like fun pew pew combat, they they really didn't hold a candle even to the twenty six hundred board of Star Wars. Now, I never played Elite, oh, um, I and and I don't know why. It, it, I think maybe it was because the black and white screenshots just you know they looked too bland to be fun. Yeah, so it was a combination of the games that I. I had mentioned that got me that held me over to uh, I got my first IBM PC in college. One of the first games I got was Wing Commander, released in 1991 by Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts is a game maker so legendary that he has not yet been tarred and feathered over Star Citizen. And <laughs> I'm telling you, that's impressive. It, yeah, you know, for our listeners who don't know, Star Citizen is Roberts's uh, hyper ambitious, crowd funded magnum opus. Um, it's a uh, it's a more than spiritual successor to to Wing Commander. Uh, it's also the longest running vaporware project since Duke Nukem Forever, and the most profitable ever. <laughs> wow, they're making money. I, I myself have something over five hundred dollars sunk into imaginary ships existing in a perpetual beta universe that I will wor- that I worry is going to spoil the game if I participate in. So I can't touch it. <laughs> That's a whole nother episode. That's love right there. That's a fan. <laughs> but Wing Commander is the reason I bought my first PC flight stick. It was uh, space combat with a really, you know, in, in 3D with a really polished, interesting story. The, the, mm-hmm. the 3D, it had a 3D environment, but the, the, the graphics were sprite-based. They were, they were quite good, especially in Wing Commander 2. But, you know, sprites are just cardboard cutouts, so yeah. it lacked a little something. But it did have this great innovative narrative structure it'll let you influence not only the outcome of the story but the path that took you there yeah super polished super fun games um wing commander was so good that dragon magazine gave it six stars out of five (laughs) for real i remember seeing wing commander uh on your computer in college and i'm like what is that (laughs) you're like (laughs) i was like i need a copy right now and that uh I played uh-huh. it so hard. That was the game that kind of helped me understand that I can never play Civ, <laughs> frankly, because <laughs> I played Wing Commander so hard and my grades suffered so badly for it. You know, so anyway, continue. Well, yeah, this game was really it was giving me what I had always wanted, right? And, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, by the third entry in 1994, uh, uh, Wing Commander Three: Heart of the Tiger. By then, the the CD-ROM had become sort of standard for game releases and. Mm. <laughs> and Roberts just it just went nuts. He they they introduced in 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 flight voice dialogue, which really made the game more immersive. But they also had these live action cutscenes with a ridiculous cast. They had Mark Hamill, Malcolm McDowell, John Rice Davies, Tim Curry, Biff from Back to the Future, the boss from Herman's Head, who's also the judge from Liar Liar. Malachi from Children of the Corn and Jules Pierre Mao from The Expanse, who's also Doctor Change from Law Chang from Lost. Yeah, 
that's they, they just went that, they went nuts on, on production bonkers. values that, yeah. for real they, they were just exploring what they could do with cd-roms and yeah they yeah. made the most of it in 1999 roberts actually directed and released a theatrical film version of wing commander oh right i remember that sadly it starred matthew lillard and freddie prince jr so it sank without a trace yeah but oh yeah uh, i wish i forgot it yeah <laughs> the franchise is still alive there have been a ton of different games in it, uh, including the Privateer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, games. They, those were wonderful. It was yeah. like it was like Wing Commander mixed with Elite. They've actually got one an active game right now, uh, Wing Commander Arena. It's like one, I think the Xbox yeah. Live service and and whatnot. But you know, starting with the fourth game in the series, it started to get a little tired. Live action video is no longer super cool, but happily. Wing Commander's success had also spurred the development of 1993's Star Wars X-Wing. <sighs> X-Wing was absolutely the result of LucasArts realizing how much money they were leaving on the table for Chris Roberts and Origin Systems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, originally released on a three and a half inch floppy, quote, floppy disks. Yeah, right. It was programmed by a guy named Larry Holland who had done LucasArts' excellent flight sim series uh, that included Battle Hawks and Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe. That was a cool game. Which was a really, Swaddle really good game. Swaddle was a really cool game. <laughs> Super neat. Swaddle was really neat. So, you know, finally I was getting like a 3D space sim with actual mm -hmm. textures and colors, not just wireframes. This game was incredibly immersive and and way more precise and satisfying than Wing Commander's you know sprite based gameplay, yeah. where Star Wars Arcade had given me the physical and visceral thrill of popping Tie Fighters and dodging weird laser balls. X Wing made me an X Wing pilot. This game yeah. told the story of the rebellion up to the destruction of the Death Star. In you know in the final battle, you take Luke's place, Natch. It was best played with a flight stick, but you still had to have a keyboard because there were so many controls. You, know, you were actually flying Y-wings, X-wings, and A-wings, and after an expansion pack, B-wings. You had missions like uh, intercepting TIE bomber runs, destroying trade convoys, elim eliminating minefields, capturing freighters, escorting shuttles, torpedo and bombing runs against capital ships. It was, I mean, epic so epic you know, these missions would have yeah. time limits that would really force you to engage with the game's central mechanic which is having to distribute power among your three ship systems your engine your shield and your weapons and whatever proportion you choose and you're changing them constantly to succeed at these missions you know if, if you max out your laser and your shield strength uh, or recharge rates because you're trying to take down a star destroyer shield projector you're going to find that you sacrifice too much speed to be safe or effective if you need to catch a fleeing target you know you max out your engines but your shield and laser charge bleeds away slowly and if you catch them with empty laser capacitors you can't fire until they recharge and firing too soon means you have weak shots game was hard yeah i'm getting um, stressed out just hearing about it this, was a hard hard game like, they, like yeah. these these missions sometimes some, sometimes they were like uh like almost like a puzzle game that you had to figure out mm -hmm. but you know that that constant management of systems really was immersive yeah um and so was the music system which uh it was dynamic it you know it was john john williams score and you know, they would bring in audio cues, you know, to match what was going on in the game. You know, if like if reinforcements jumped in, it would be, you know, a triumphant rebel fanfare. If, mm -hmm. you know, if, uh, you know, a Star Destroyer suddenly arrives on the streets, you know, on the on the on the scene, it's uh, the Imperial March. There were some problems, you know, with the game. It, it had a lot of restarting because there were no save points and why you yeah. lost missions wasn't always clear. But in 1995, they released Star Wars TIE Fighter. That's <laughs> which is the real best game ever. People just went bonkers over Tie Fighter, you know. And this is like this is this is the price I paid for being a Mac user in the '90s because these games didn't come out for the oh. Mac until like until like way after their prime, right? And by the time yeah. I got them, like like the party was over, you know. So I never really got to to play these games. But I heard type, people just went like. It was the first time I ever heard about people like enthusing about being part of the bad guys for once. Yeah, you know? and, exactly. And, 
and people just went crazy for tie fighter yeah you felt you know the the, the story was much better than than x-wings and you know it, it puts you in a in a place where you're fighting for the empire as a force for order you know you start out fighting mostly like pirates and really awful yeah. people doing awful things and you're you're stopping them and eventually you know well, we got to go kill these rebels. <laughs> and, well, and, well done. Why don't you saturation bomb these Ewoks? Okay, that's a good lad. See ya. <laughs> and, but but for the most part, you feel like a good guy. Yeah. And and the story is really super cool because there are these optional mission goals that yeah. you're informed of beforehand by a shadowy figure. And if you complete enough of them, you're invited into this secret society, and you can eventually become the emperor's hand. It, it's really cool. Yikes. <laughs> and you get to fly TIE fighters, which have no shields and are terrifying. TIE bombers, TIE interceptors, TIE advanced, like Darth Vader flew in Star Wars. The yeah. three-wing TIE defender, which is nuts. It was so, so good. And the, the mission the mission structure was better. Everything about it was better. And in, in this genre, in 1995, another great came out called Descent. People oh, loved it. Descent. Oh, it's so I cool. never even paid attention to to Descent because I was too busy gold meddling Star Wars Tie Fighter. <laughs> Every mission. Star Wars Tie Fighter, I understand, is what gave rise to the meme, like you know, Tie Fighters, no shields, all guts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. So, fortunately, you didn't have to fly the tie, the base Tie Fighter too often, and for yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. The 90s were also the era of the computer role-playing game, which which none of us mm. have really talked about. You know, before we go, I just wanted to, to do a quick nod to to just, you know, how that whole genre really exploded massively during the 90s and even got us the action role-playing game with things like Diablo. So I know we'll, we'll end up doing, like, a whole episode on Diablo at some point, but just real quick around the table, just shout out, you know, who who remembers playing Diablo? How hard did it rock your world when it, when it, when it showed up? And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, it just... Just, just take it from there. Joe, you want to start? Oh, I'm, uh, I mean, I remember playing a lot of Diablo in like 97, 98, loving every bit of, of the, uh, of the combat and everything else. And then, you know, obviously Diablo two was, was, was earth shattering in, in what it did for the genre, but, but Diablo was just, just so much fun, uh, you know, hack and slash and, and, and dungeon spelunking and going down and yeah, no, we, we had an absolute ball playing that um you know yeah. and, and we can Same. get into that get into that later but it was it was a, it was yeah. an absolute blast yeah tom are you a big diablo fan you know i never played diablo the original but oh god two and three like it was my job oh my i've sunk <laughs> so many hours into those games like it's embarrassing i think how many how many hours <laughs> i've yeah. sunk into diablo we would have series. to stay a while and listen if we were gonna, oh god, <laughs> uh, you're awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time. Greetings. Now d- downloaded the Diablo yeah. 2 Resurrection, yeah, which is now the you know big hot thing going back in time. Basically playing the same game with updated graphics, and I still love it. I think it's awesome. I, I, I think I think it says a lot about you know just just the the, the sheer just confidence that that Blizzard has in its properties to go back and re-release like a 20 year old game. Uh, knowing that people are like thirsty for it, like just yeah. give us Diablo. Well, here's two, the please. thing: knowing that I still have Diablo two, I could still play that tomorrow if I wanted. But I'll pay them the forty bucks to play the pay, play the version <laughs> that's got a new coat of right. lipstick on it. I got the yeah, battle sure. chest right up there yeah. on the shelf, and it's got sure. everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I'm actually really excited that they re-released it, just because I never played Diablo two back in the day. Again, it was one of those things where. I just, I just, I didn't have a machine that could. Is that or get it. divorced? I, just, I, I understand. I, I, yeah, you know, but I did play the first Diablo. In fact, I played the Diablo so hard that's the one I ended up wearing out a mouse on. Actually, like, wow, like nice. Like, I ended up clicking a mouse to death on Diablo. I was like, man, I love this game. Um, so I'm super excited to get to get on Diablo too. And I think it's going to be a, a an overdue uh, jump into it because I really do. I love that that kind of. It really, it really triggers my whole completionist mania of like I must uncover every possible dark pixel in this map, or else I'm a loser, you know. And Diablo Two is a much better game than Diablo. It really yeah. is. I, I've heard nothing but really great things about Diablo Two. I mean, I really have heard it's really true. I mean, I've heard it's just a. I mean, Diablo is a great game. I just heard yeah, Diablo Two is is all that plus. So I'll take that. I'll take the whole universe as a word for that one. But it, it has had a, a troubled launch. 
I feel like we, we shouldn't ignore. Um, we haven't been able to play online yet. Three of the four guys in this podcast have uh, and we, signed up. Not for any not for any lack of trying, which is pretty sad at our age. <laughs> <laughs> right? to, to quote Tom, an embarrassing number of hours. <laughs> so, so, well, look. You know, you know, I I bring up Diablo two and I bring up computer games because that brings me into into the final thought for the night. It's more of a story, and it's actually one of my favorite computer game stories of all time. It's something that lands at the very tail end of, of the whole era we discussed tonight. And this is um, well, like in March nineteen ninety nine, Sony Online Entertainment released a game called EverQuest, right, which was one of the biggest early you know massively multiplayer online role playing games um it's widely considered to be one of the greatest games of all time historians will probably call me out for being wrong by my understanding i think there was like there's ultima online which was a really big mmorpg and then everquest kind of succeeded it and everquest was sort of like the game in town before like world of warcraft sort of knocked yeah. it off its perch and for me it's a game that marks kind of the end of the 90s computer era not just because it came out in 1999 but because it also kind of embodies that transition uh, from computer games we largely played by ourselves or somebody else physically near us, like on a LAN, to computer games we largely played online with people we might not ever see or meet in real life. And for me, games and gaming culture kind of underwent this substantial evolution at that point. Uh, and sometimes I'm not sure it's a really beneficial one. I mean, like, I love playing online with my friends. I love it. But... There is something about like being in a land party and like being there with people and see, you know, you you look up from your computer, you can lock eyes at people. Like there's something about that that scene we're never going to get back again, you know. Um, but for a brief period of time, games like EverQuest occupied this strange, like weird in between phase, and that's what the story is all about. So, I never I never played EverQuest, but my late brother Tom did. He played it a lot. To quote Tom, an embarrassing number of hours, and like many players, he called the game Evercrack and spent just, you know, days and days and days playing it. His main character was this monk that he named Crunchy Fist, right? And Tom loved Crunchy Fist. Crunchy Fist was like a prime possession of my brother. Tom also loved to embarrass me in public on a regular basis. He was just, you know, the king of endless escalation and it's a brother thing. But, you know, at that time, I was working for Palladium Books, uh, which is a prominent publisher of tabletop role-playing games. I had had a bunch of titles already out, and I was pretty well known in both the Palladium and the tabletop role-playing game communities. And I was really present on the message boards for both Palladium's website as well as a site called RPGNet. For those of you in the audience who don't remember message boards, I encourage you to Google them. They were the hallmark of a simpler and more civilized time. Anyway, so one day Tom decides that uh, he's going to jump on the Palladium boards and start trash-talking the hell out of me, right? He gets on. He's like, hey, everybody, I'm Bill's brother. And he starts telling people embarrassing stuff from my childhood, <laughs> like right, like weird nicknames to call me, like all this horrible stuff, like the works. And I contact him. I'm like, dude, you, you got to stop this. It's not cool to blow me up in my workplace like this, okay? It's yeah, it's my work. You got to stop. And my brother being my brother is like, you know, F you. I'm not going to do what you tell me. All right? He's like, now I'm just going to do it twice as much because you're my big brother and you can't tell me what to do. And I'm like, all right, fine. You want to play rough? We can play rough. So I go on the Palladium boards and I go on RPG Net and I announce publicly that for being such a jerk to me, I'm putting a bounty out on Tom's character, Crunchy Fist. <laughs> okay. I, I sit on the internet. I'm like, to the person or persons who kill Crunchy Fist in game and send me a screenshot of proof, I will give to them a signed Palladium book of their choice. The bounty has no expiration date, right? And then I just waited. And I didn't tell my brother, right? I didn't tell him at all. I just, like, I just did this. I'm like, well, I felt better, right? And I do this. Now, two weeks pass. Nothing happens, right? And I forget about the bounty and I move on. And then one day, out of nowhere, I get this call at work. It's a phone call. It's my brother, Tom. And he is freaked out. I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello? And he goes, dude, what did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, why, Tom? Whatever do you mean? He's like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then he proceeds to tell me the story of what happened. And it's in EverQuest, there were these player versus player specific zones in the virtual world, right? Where you could attack other players unprovoked. I guess there are player. I guess there are areas. I this is you know I didn't ever play it myself, but I guess there were areas where you could duel people, and there are areas where it was just a free for all. And Tom typically steered clear of the free for all areas, but as he played, 
he's playing and he he can't shake the feeling that somebody is following him in game like every time he turns around like there's somebody there and then they turn on they're not there he's like ours is freaking me out but this goes on for three days right he feel like he's being shadowed in game <laughs> like it's like messing with his head he like parks his character he won't go on he's like i don't know and so finally gets back on yeah he's like all he's like all jittery eventually he gets back on going on yeah exactly right eventually he gets back in and he realizes he needs to travel to some place in the game world and he knows that it's a long long trip over land but if he just cuts across this one player versus player zone like just across like the corner of it he'll save himself a huge amount of travel time and he figures you know what this is i'm just being paranoid this is stupid i'm just going to do this right i'm just going to enter the pvp zone i'll just be in and out in a moment it'll be so fast he steps over the line, right? And BAM! <laughs> Crunchy Fist is instantly killed from out of nowhere, right? Like he never even sees it coming. Headshot. <laughs> exactly, right? And as Tom is wondering what the hell just happened, this unnamed rogue just shows up over his body and announces to Tom, this is for Bill Coffin, bitch, and then disappears. <laughs> right? That's <so> great. <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? Right? He takes off. Now, here's the here's the best part of it. He goes, my brother Tom has never begged me for anything before in his life, but by God, he begged me to lift the bounty on Crunchy Fist. He's like, dude, please, you have to do this. Uh, and and I did, but only after I made him promise to leave me alone in online RPG forums. I'm like, have you learned your lesson? He's like, just make it go away. So I go I go public. I announce the bounty has been filled. Crunchy Fist has been slain. And if somebody would like to care to collect, please message me. I'll be happy to pay out. Best part of the story is that no one collected the bounty. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever did it, they did it for free because they were a friend. They loved you. <laughs> they loved me. And I still don't know who Crunchy Fist, I, I still don't know who Crunchy Fist's killer is, okay? I don't know who, 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 who collected the bounty. But I do know this. Crunchy Fist's killer, whoever you are, if you're out there and you hear this, I want you to know something. I have only two heroes in this world. The first is Stan Lee. I'll let you figure out who the other one is. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com. <laughs>